Welcome to the Pastured Pig Podcast, where we share the successes and challenges of raising pigs on pasture. We talk to producers all over the country, from small homesteads to large commercial pasture operations. Whether you're new to pastured pigs or have been raising hogs for decades, we hope you hear new ideas and new perspectives on pasturing hogs. Here's your host, Troy McClung. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Pastured Pig Podcast. Um, I'm your host, Troy McClung. Again, thank everyone for uh, listening to our podcast. Um, not going to take a lot of time doing an intro here because I want to dive right into our conversation with Carl. Uh, Carl's kind of a uh, kind of a celebrity. I'm sure many of you know who he is. If you don't, then I think you're going to enjoy this even more as you uh, learn more about him. Uh, but just some updates here at Red Tool House. We uh, Got two of our sows bred. We'll obviously know here in a couple weeks if they settled or not. Uh, but this week it was time to move them to another pasture, and it's it's kind of funny how uh, how they are so smart. They know where the electric fence is. They remember it even if it's taken down. They're <laughs> not very trusting of me trying to coax them across, and and have one pig in particularly that she's not trusting. And I try to use the um, the old feed bowl trick where I lay the feed bowl on one side of the line. Uh, even though, of course, the line's gone there, but uh, the clear demarcation of one pasture to the other, laid on the other side, instead of her coming across to get it, she leans over and, and grabs it with her with her teeth and jerks it back across the line. I actually shared a video of that on our Facebook page, Red Tool House Farm, if you want to check that out. But uh, just one of those things where uh, you deal with the intelligence of pigs and, and uh, their intellect. It, it shows that uh, they don't necessarily move exactly where you want them to when you want them to. Well, as I mentioned before, our guest today is Carl Blake, and Carl, man, we we, we covered a lot of topics, and we could have spent um, hours talking about each one of the topics we hit. So I'm hoping to have Carl back on at some point and, and talk about some of these other things in detail, but uh, I think you'll really enjoy our conversation. I've got a lot of links below in the show description, uh, the, uh, all the things that Carl references there, so be sure to take some time uh, when you're not driving, of course, and check those out. Uh, because there's some really good information there. All right, let's talk with Carl. Well, hello everybody. Welcome back to the Pastured Pig Podcast. Um, I've got a, I've got a, a, a famous, I've got a celebrity in the pastured pig uh, uh, realm on the on the interview <laughs> line today. Um, I'm talking with Carl Blake and Carl. Uh, man, if I listed off your resume here, that would pretty much take uh, take up the podcast. So. Uh, I'm just going to say Carl from Rustic Rooster Farms, but there's there's so much more that we can unpack there. So let's start there. Uh, welcome, Carl. How are you today? Fine, thank you. Thanks right. for having me. All right. Well, yeah, I appreciate you appreciate you taking the time. I know you've uh, you've got a busy schedule going on, and to say that uh, you're with Rustic Rooster Farms is kind of a um, it's kind of just just a little taste of what you've got going on. You want to give us a little bit of background uh, about you there? Well, we started um, Rustic Rooster Farms as a means of trying to uh, to sell our pig. And um, what happened was uh, back in 2007, I was in a severe accident, and I broke my neck, my back, my arm, my legs, and I was uh, I, I should have been dead because I was paralyzed from the neck down. But I started going. I decided that to get physical therapy, I go back to uh, farming, and uh, I started doing a bunch of research, mainly because I was laid up and had cast on my leg and my arms, and all I could do was type. Uh, I, um, I did a lot of research on pork, and I kept doing more and more research. After a couple of years of research, I decided that uh, 
we were going to try to recreate a pig from 1821 Germany called the Swabian Hall. And the Swabian Hall um, was a, uh, I mean, I start seeing what the Swabian Hall was um, mainly because we saw that the Mangalitsa was being brought into the United States. Mm, yeah. And, uh, but after I found out the mangalitsa grows too slow, the small litters, uh, you know, they're just not a good pig for commercial operation. And I also saw that the mangalitsa was beaten in Europe many, many, many times by the Swabian Hall in uh, just about every category. I thought, well, it was developed by a king in 1821. It won four world's fairs. Uh, you know, if I try to recreate that pig and I can get anything close to it, um, we would have a, uh, we would have something here in the United States that was better than any of the pork that we have currently. Yeah. So, uh, so I, I did a bunch of research and, and uh, I recreated the pig here and took the first pig to the San Francisco Cushan 555 and we won the event. That's and a, what, uh, what year was, just, what year was that? I'm sorry. 2009, I believe. 2009. Okay, great. I'm sorry. Yeah. And, um, and during that time we had raised, Mangas and Mishan and a lot of other types of breeds of pigs um, in the hopes of trying to find a better pig for us to eat in the United States. Because I think, um, and I said it on the U.S., on the Stephen Colbert show, that U.S. pork sucks. Yeah. And um, it does because, uh, I mean, n- none of those pigs out there can touch any of the new lard pigs that are out that are produced today in terms of, you know, just sitting down and eating a delicious piece of pork. Um, that's what we're trying to do. And and uh, so we developed the Iowa Swabian Hall. We went on to win the Kushan several more times um, in different cities across the United States. And uh, then we started, you know, we ended up on a TV show. We were on the Andrew Zimmern show. Uh, and that same week, we were in the New York cover of the New York Times. Uh, and then went from the New York Times to the Stephen Colbert show to show off our pigs. And then um, hundreds of uh, professional farmer magazines and farm show and all kinds of other magazines and newspapers throughout the United States. I mean, I even have uh, newspapers from, from Korea and Poland and Germany that show us, show our pigs off. And so it's been quite a ride. No doubt. No doubt. And, and uh, I've, I've looked at some of the, those links that you've, uh, that you've talked about there and, and I'll post those below in the show description. So uh, all of our listeners can check that out as well. The, the Colbert Report show, um, I think, was was obviously the, one of the most entertaining because, of course, Stephen Colbert is pretty crazy dude. What what was it like being on that show with him? Was he just was he a mile a minute type? Well, yeah, he was um, actually he was quite quite nice. Um, but see, they spent two days prior talking to me. The writers did asking me questions, trying to figure out some funny angles, and and I knew they were going to do something, but they didn't tell me anything. They just had me show up, and sure. I walked out with two pigs in my hands and. But, see, there's a lot of story in before that. I mean, uh, getting two pigs to New York was probably the worst thing I've ever done in my life. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, um, imagine a small pig with diarrhea and it's blown up the size of a football. Yeah. Um, and then when you get to the motel, he, um, he's he got jet propulsion and he, he just shits all over the entire uh, apartment. Uh, <laughs> it was horrible. Right. And, uh, but I was so afraid that he was going to do the same thing to Stephen Colbert when he put him in his arms. Yeah. All I could do was stand there and just wait for it to happen. I was like, oh, this is going to be funny on national TV. But, uh, no, it was really cool. He, he came out there and he said, he said, uh, just treat me like, you know, like 
you're the teacher and I'm the student and you're going to teach me. And I said, oh, I can do that. And he says, um, and he looked right at me, put his finger, pointed his finger at me. He says, don't let me get away with anything. And I said, I'm your man. He says, why is that? And I said, because I've seen what you've done to other people. I'll pick that table up and I'll hit you over the head with it. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. Said, that's what I want. <laughs> and I said, well, that's what we're going to get. Yeah. So like- we went out there. And, and you can see in the show where I actually said, you can see where they cut from me. The first minute that I was out there, I was scared shitless. My mouth was like popcorn fart dry. I couldn't even, I couldn't get my lips to talk, move. I needed some water really bad. And they put a cup of, uh, I got my own Colbert cup. They mugged me, put it out on the table. Right. If you look, you can see where he comes at me. And then uh, right when they pan to him, you can see my arm shoot out across the screen. I grabbed the cup and I took a drink and I said, now it's on. Yes, right. Because I could talk then. Got recharged. And he did it. Yeah, and then he said to me, he said, uh, so you've got a pig from China that you bred to a pig from Russia uh, to create a German pig in Iowa. So you have a communist pig. Right, yeah. And I said, what? And I said, those fighting words. I tried to get him to, to arm wrestle me right there. I put my arm up on the table and. I tried to get him to arm wrestle me. He twice he put his arm out, and I reached down and grabbed his arm, and he pulled away and said, "Hypothetically speaking," and uh, all I could think of was, "I'm going to get this dude to arm wrestle me on national TV." That would be, That's gonna be cool. Yeah, because I'm twice his size, you know. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So it was funny, and uh, he was really nice, and uh, he let me he let me sit on his desk and get a picture, man. That was so cool, dude. You you have no idea how cool that was sitting in Colbert's chair. Yeah. I'd be like going to sit in Johnny Carson or, you know, Jay Leno or Jimmy Fallon's chair and getting my picture taken. I mean, that was just, that was cool. Yeah, I think that's so, a co- it's a cover image on your Rustic Rooster Facebook page, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah awesome. it is. Well, that was great. I mean, everybody should watch that clip and just see, you know, in the backstory there. I love the fact where... He's he's you know, you're you're talking about uh, American pork sucks and it's not the other white meat and he's of course you know taking you to task poking you a little bit like that and then then he says hey we're going to throw down and you're like all right let's throw down the the beautiful irony of that again on in audio we we lose the beauty of this but if you guys watch the clip yeah. you see uh, with Carl sitting across the table from uh, from Stephen it's it's a little bit of uh, disproportionate there <laughs> so, yeah you could well, the interesting you, thing is that nobody knows about is um, when I said U.S. pork sucks, uh, one of the vice presidents of John Deere was watching the show, and that vice president had to be in charge. They were going to allow me to have a uh, – they were going to loan me a skid loader, a John Deere skid loader for the television show for Andrew Zimmer because we were coming out with a new television show for National Geographic. Oh, no kidding. Okay. And nobody knew about that. But John Deere did. But when John Deere – the guy heard that I said that – you know, that it was, uh, the U S pork suck. He said that I, um, that I basically, uh, you know, I insulted, uh, American pork farmers. And I said, no, I only insulted the American pork farmers that are making pork that sucks. And right. I, and I called him and told him that. Exactly. And I said, I don't think you realize who your buyers are because the buyers that buy John Deere's don't buy, they're not pork buyers. They buy the red tractors cause they're cheaper. They're not going to go buy a John Deere. I said, I've never seen a, a pork farmer that's out there moving stuff using, uh, you know, John Deere equipment. That's why I tried to use it. And I said, I, I, I've done work for the John Deere Waterloo plant, um, 
UAW 838 for 27 years. I did I did all their computer work, and uh, I helped a lot of John Deere's people out, and I helped John Deere's out a lot. And, uh, you know, I would never try to do anything to, to defame them or otherwise insult them, but that's what he said, and then they took my uh, skid loader away, and I lost it that day, but I still stand behind everything I said. Yeah, absolutely. I still well. offer $1,000 to anybody that has a confinement pig or confinement operation that can beat the worst pig on our property right. there you in go. a taste tent. Awesome. Yeah, so, it, yeah, it is. It, it's good to stand, stand by your convictions there. Well, well, you mentioned something I want to come back to, and this is um, this is stepping back a little bit, but your background, you talked about you have a tech background, but you grew up on a farm, correct? So you do have some farming experience, but yeah. you spent a lot of your adult oh, life in tech. Oh, yeah, since I was three. I mean, I, I, I lived on a farm. I, I grew up on a farm in Trayer, Iowa, and then we moved to New Hartford, Iowa, and I lived on a farm there. Um, we had pigs. I've had pigs since I was three. Excellent. Okay, so let's let's talk about to where the um, the Swabian Hall is now. So uh, I assume you guys are, are you producing uh, production level? Are you producing breeders? What are you doing with that pig right now? Currently, what we're doing is um, I still produce Swabian Hall pigs that we um, we sell to customers, and we have we have customers all over the country that still get Swabian Hall pigs. And what I've been doing is I've been doing some other breeding. Uh, trying to improve upon some of the things that, uh, you know, like, uh, for instance, a uh, faster growth time, uh, faster growth in terms of marbling, um, still large litters, uh, still producing large, consistently large litters, um, uh, the dark red meat, um, one inch to one inch and a half of fat cap on it, of pure white monounsaturated fat, really healthy, healthy, healthy fat for, uh, for us. Uh, us humans, um, but trying to make a good charcuterie pig. I mean, I have them. You know, I, I've got lots of guys in New York that have uh, Swabians that are still out there that are still aging them. In fact, um, mm-hmm. I got some three-year-age Swabian back a couple weeks ago. Um, it's kind of a neat deal. Uh, but I like the Swabian. Uh, but we are also continuing to, you know improve upon that and we've got a couple more pigs developed right now that uh that we'll be offering as far as um semen goes we'll be offering semen as well as uh um uh breed stock in the coming in the coming months oh excellent well that was uh, that was a question i was going to ask you and trying to do the research and you have to forgive my ignorance on this but the swabian hall can you can you guys technically call that a Swabian Hall? It was my understanding that it had to originate from the German region to technically be that, or how how does that work? Well, it's not really called a Swabian Hall. It's called the Iowa Swabian Hall. Gotcha. Okay. So I guess you know I missed uh, we both uh, I misspoke I guess in the beginning. It's not the Swabian Hall. Um, all I did was simply recreate the pig based upon what I knew to be the pigs doing research of what they did in 1821 Germany. Right. So I knew that I wasn't going to create the same exact pig, but I thought if I was close, um, that's better than any pigs in the United States if we were even close, because there isn't good pigs in the United States for, for just eating. Um, you know, I mean, even that you got the Berkshire, but so what the Berkshire is no different than the Hampshire or, or any other Shire pigs. They're all the same. Um, but we've bred them in and out over the years here in the United States where there's, there's no genetic diversity and, and, uh, you know, good, healthy genes. So we end up with, you know, so, so pigs 
I want a really good pig. I want really good pork. I want good bacon, and I want really good pork chops, and I love my pork steaks. So um, I, I know that I didn't create the, the exact pig as a Swabian Hall from Germany, but uh, I call it the Iowa Swabian Hall because I created it in Iowa, and we use the same, uh, this you know, as close to the genetics as we could possibly get here in the United States at that time. Uh, and the purest, because my Michon pigs are the only ones in the United States, the only Michon that can be uh, directed back to a pure source, where we know for a fact it was a pure source, and that was Iowa State. Yeah. And my Michon are from there, and that's what started my herd. Oh, excellent. Yeah. And again, I, yeah, that, to me, that's, that's that's kind of getting hung up on a technicality, the fact that you, know, you, you, you can't call it what it is, but... Uh, it, it sounds like it's you know, far superior or, or, or very equal to what uh, what it would be technically coming well, out of Germany. What, what they did was they, they changed the, the Swabian in 1984 when they bred in the Wessex Saddleback. They only had eight original Swabians left, and they bred in the, uh, bred in the Wessex Saddleback uh, to give them more genetic diversity to continue building them. Uh, building them. Mm. And what's neat is uh, they do $82 million in uh, pork in in uh, Germany with the Swabian Hall every year, eighty two million dollars. Wow! And uh, I mean, so you know, that's a not always a very popular pig, but they've got it under control. They have um, it's fed fodder. It's it's fed specific uh, specific things at specific times. I mean, they they've really got it down pat. And you know, that's one of the things I'd like to do here. But what I did was I recreated the pig from eighteen twenty one. And uh, and I do have another pig that um, has the same um, the same uh, characteristics and everything as the one from 1984. I did that just so that I would have one because so many people asked why mine didn't have a stripe and the and the Swabians do. Hmm. So and that was generated from the Wessex Saddleback in 1984. Gotcha. Okay. Well, great. So. Um, so you're you're still producing that right now, and you're working on some other yes. uh, other genetic lines of that. Uh, do you do? Um, sorry, are you at a large production level right now? Would you say, or, or you're just still kind of testing and 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 kind of in a well, smaller scale? We we're on a smaller scale right now. Still, um, I have two other farms that are helping me in terms of uh, production of the pigs and and um, you know trying to get our genetics in line because we want to be able to. Um, have a reg- uh, have them registered later on. We want to be able to offer them semen. Uh, we work with Stephen Kearns from International Boar Semen out of uh, out of Iowa, and um, we offer all of our genetics there, so people can go ahead and. I just don't have any Swabian semen there right now, but um, they do have our pure Michon. They do have um, our Red Waddle. They do have um, uh, various other pigs that we have up there. Yeah. So. Oh, excellent. But yeah, we're, we're not we're not huge. I don't expect to ever be huge. Um, what what's happened is, see, um, uh, Mike Rowe. I was on the Mike Rowe show and uh, Andrew Zimmern, and they both pulled me aside during the segments that I filmed with them, and they both said, "Hey, look, you're never going to make a million dollars on this pig thing." Um, they said because uh, you know you're not. It's just not going to happen in the TV world. And I said, "Well, I didn't figure it would." Uh, but they said, you know, the neat thing is, is that if you can identify the ancillary things or all the things that are going on around it that may be profitable, then you're going to be, you know, batting a thousand then, because then you can make money on those other other things. And 
So one of the things that I, I really was working with was, I mean, I've been roasting pigs since I was in junior high for, you know, I, I was always well known for roasting pigs through high school and college. Um, but I had to do it the old way. And, uh, that's when I started really working with, you know, a new way to roast pigs. Um, roasting a pig in 14 to 20 hours makes nobody any money. Yeah. But if you roast a pig in my American hot box, it only takes four hours. A guy can make money roasting pigs in four hours. No doubt. So I kept working with, uh, you know, I developed American hot box. I developed it out of solid stainless steel. I made it something that Americans can be proud of. It's made in America. Every bit of it, even my stainless steel was sourced in America. Um, all of the products and everything else that we use with it, they're all manufactured by us. And uh, it's all handmade and hand-welded, and, uh, I mean, they're fantastic. Um, so that was one of the things. And the other thing that came out of it was the fodder. Was um, I pioneered uh, feeding fodder to pigs because they laughed at me and said, well, pigs only eat corn and soy. They don't, you know, they don't eat. They don't eat pasture. They don't eat grass. And I said, well, that's a lie um, because they shouldn't be fed corn and soy to begin with. That's not something the pigs are developed to eat. Um, that's something that, that, you know, humans put to the pig and start feeding it to them. And, and that's not uh, what a good pig uh, should eat. And so I started feeding them fodder, and then I started figuring out how to develop fodder on a large-scale basis. So I started working with that, and I developed my own fodder systems, and now we're out we're out uh, building fodder systems awesome and um, hopefully that'll come about you know i mean it all starts uh, you know we got to start somewhere so we've started and and we hope that uh you know those things will catch on and and uh you know change the technology as we go yeah well let's uh, yeah man you just you just unloaded a lot of information there so let's uh let's back up if you don't mind and talk about it so the American Hot Box, which, again, in the show description, I'll have links to the website and the Facebook page. So looking at that, that is a pretty unique-looking uh, uh, device when you think about roasters, uh, a certain look or size of a roaster. I mean, this thing almost looks like a, um, a, a downtown uh, kind of vendor's uh, hot dog cart. But uh, but obviously much more than than that. So uh, could you just, just give us a 40,000-foot elevation description of what's going on with those? Well, um, the hotbox uses a unique method developed by the Chinese some 600 years ago. It's actually top-down heat. What they do is they put the coals on the top, and then the pig or whatever you're going to cook is in the bottom, like a big oven. Mm -hmm. And the top is superheated. It's about 801 degrees on top. Um, what it does, it has a convection effect as well as a uh, pressure, uh, like a pressure cooker effect, because the top seals up. And it heats up, and it superheats the pig inside, and it just cooks really, really well in there. The best roasted pigs come out of a hot box because it crisps up the skin, too, whereas standard uh, regular roaster systems, they're just, they're just a rubbery pig, and nobody wants to eat the skin. Right. Yeah. Our pigs, they'll eat the skin all the way. They'll eat the skin right off the pig like it's no tomorrow. Um, chicharrones is what they call it when the Spanish eat it. Hmm. The Mexicans like that, the Filipinos, chicharrones. And that's basically what we make. Um, but the, the, the hot box is much more than just a pig roaster. I mean, we use it to cater events. Uh, we not only cater events, but it has a smoker, it has a rotisserie, it has a grill top, it has hibachi, a Brazilian shish kebab, it has a special automated shish kebab. Um, the, uh, it has three different kinds of rotisseries. 
uh, it's just a fantastic box to use. I mean, we have a smoker and we have uh, 12 different kinds of smoke. So, um, it's just fantastic. I, I've got, I've got a gal in Vermont that's using two of them. She did $144,000 last year mm. just using two hot boxes. My goodness. Yeah. So, that's... I mean, we, we have a developed whole business so that people can actually get the hot box and do a business around the hot box and do it on a yearly basis. And we did that for the farmers mostly because, you know, farmers are having a hard time making an extra, you know, two or three, four or $500 a month. I mean, they're happy when they can make an extra 500, but imagine when they can make an extra 1500 to 5,000 a month. That's a game changer in terms of being able to pay your, to, you know, to buy feed, uh, to buy the meds you might need and all those kinds of things. I mean, the hot box can help you, you know, keep your farm afloat. Oh yeah. What, I mean, and that's, that's the beauty. I love that. That's a great value add for a producer. Um, and yeah, we, we see that all the time in pork production. Hey, when you, when you have the opportunity to, to process your animal and, you know, sausage, pepperoni, whatever the value added product you're going to add there, that, that helps the bottom line. But, but you're showing right. one step further with this actual cooking production. You know, so if you've got that on your farm and you're producing, roasters and say hey we'll not only sell you a roaster we're going to be able to take care of it for you we can do this we can rent these out whatever all, all this value-added service yep. there well, just imagine though uh you have you have you know 40 pigs and you have three coal pigs and they're not growing very well for whatever reason so you keep them in a separate pen those pigs normally end up killing them or giving them away or something but the cool thing about the hot box is you can put them in their own pen and you don't care how long it takes them to grow you just keep feeding them out, and all of a sudden, by the time came, day it comes, and they're 40 to 60, 70 pounds, you can turn around and get $5.25 a pound for that same pig. Yeah. So you could turn your cold pigs, which are normally your junk pigs, into a high-dollar pig and uh, and use them at events. Not a big deal. So, I mean, it really, really helps you in the long run in, in more than one way. And, you know, you could pay the hot box off in, you know, one to two events very quickly. And then the rest of the money you make is all profit. There's not there's nothing out there on the farm that helps in terms of turning as much money over or um, allowing you to keep as much money than using the hot box. Yeah, and it seems like it has some uh, modular elements there, like you said, with the rotisseries and and some of the other elements where you you can keep it from just being a a single function uh, item. It can actually do multiple uh, post production right. cooking opportunities there. Very cool. Yes, sir. All right. Well, let's. Uh, you mentioned too the the fodder box system. So uh, you've talked about that briefly, but let's let's unpack that a little bit more. So um, obviously, I, I loved what you said about um, some people can't bring the pigs to pasture. So this is an opportunity to bring pasture to the pigs. So um, so I, I know well, you had overcome this hurdle of dispelling the myth that pigs <laughs> pigs will eat fodder. So uh, kind of jump in from right there and, and tell us how that evolved. Well, first off, um, when I started working with the pigs on a, on a, on a different level, I, I, I immediately said, don't listen to anything any of the old guys say other than to take it in and to use it as advice. But when they say, well, this is the way it's always been done, I decided that we had to look at it and say, well, that may be the way you've always done it, but that's not the way we're going to do it now because we're going to look at the old school versus new school and see if we can't combine the two to give us a better um, a better pig and a better way to take care of them and a better way to to feed them and, and to try to fit today's today's needs, wants, and issues. And uh, so what happened was um, initially I started looking at fodder because they were feeding fodder to the pigs in Germany. Um, I looked at doing fodder here. And so I made, uh, I made my own do-it-yourself systems and 
Uh, I did a lot of experimenting and I uh, just, you know, I knew that I couldn't make enough of it to eat as many pigs as I wanted to. But I discovered that, you know, after doing a lot of reading that pigs were really, really into fodder. And then when I started feeding it to them, I used it as a means of lowering the cost. My pig feed was 650 to 700 a month, a ton. And when I started doing fodder, my fodder costs were only $95 a ton. So, and then, so I thought, well, that's going to save me a lot of money. Well, that's a great thing and all. And that's, you know, that's, that, that's saving money as opposed to making money with the hot box, but we're able to save it. But I could not believe what happened to my pigs after I started feeding them fodder. We lost nearly uh, the use of 100% of the meds that we had to have to keep pigs alive for pneumonia and for scours and, you know, whatever else. Uh, the fodder was so high in nutrients, vitamins and enzymes that are available immediately because they're eating the root mass. See, on our fodder plant, what fodder is is just basically barley, wheat, or rye that's grown up to anywhere from 6 to 12 inches tall. But it's grown in water. It's not grown in any dirt. So the root mass, though, is this white, beautiful white root mass. It's sweet. It's good to eat. Um, it's not bitter like the greens are. But the, the animals love the, the root mass. You can't get that when you get a, a, a barley and stuff that they, they, they get out in a field because they're cutting it, they're drying it. And they're leaving the root mass in the ground. Well, we actually take the root mass, feed it to the pigs, and those pigs, none of our pigs needed any more medications. Wow. For over a year, we didn't even have to do anything other than do, um, other than work with uh, trying to remove parasites. Um, so it was a, a bizarre thing that I, I didn't even realize it, but the health aspect of it was unbelievable. Um, it just it just blew me away and. It made uh, using fodder all the more important to use because it was so much more helpful than uh, trying to use, uh, you know, all these medications to try to keep them alive. So, so I started working with pioneering a, a feed that we looked at, trying to a whole feed that we could make in the fodder system to feed to the pigs. And I think we've come up with one now where we can actually offer our own uh, seed mix to make fodder with. That's a complete feed for pigs as well as goats, sheep, and cows and horses. Excellent. So the, the neat thing is, is that the fodder system, uh, we, we can actually build a fodder system that can do three, four, five, six, seven tons a day. Goodness. We can grow that much in one, in one day. So it's a seven, it's a six day cycle, but we still grow. We still have feed every single day of the week. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. Cause that was, that was my first question was the scalability of this, you know, how, how far can you take this? But if you're producing seven well, tons, seven, seven tons a day, that's, that's pretty good scale. Well, we, we can scale from a hundred pounds all the way up to where, um, there's a place in Texas that, uh, it was a $24 million, uh, $24 million, um, quote, a bid. And that was to build them a system that did like 30 tons a day. Mm -hmm. Wow! I mean, that's crazy. I mean, I don't even know how we get. I mean, that's just crazy. So, but but there are people out there that want scalability, and 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 we can scale fodder from you know 100 pounds all the way up to as much as you want. So, so I mean, we have uh, proprietary lights. We've got special lights. We've got special computer system. Um, we can keep our we can keep our box so finely tuned we can keep it within a half of a degree. 
in terms of temperature. Yeah, so that's the key, and and, and, and I know you mentioned that already, but the, the fact that it's completely climate controlled, and and looking here at some of your information, that you even have some that are portable. You you have a, a trailered system, right? Uh, or you can sell all the components, and can people I assume people put it in their own building structure that they have. But you're looking at a complete turnkey system, and now it sounds like you're even including yeah. a grain mix that they they put in, so they're not even responsible, or they they don't have to be responsible for their own grain mix. Correct. And we're actually building a fully automated system right now as well. So all it is is you push a button and it actually spits feed out. Or in the case of of uh, the new unit that I'm building right now, um, you come out at eight in the morning and the feed is already waiting there for you, um, uh, already in the conveyor or in the in your skid loader. It's already done. Right. So you don't have to have any of the net. See, what's happening in the, in the industry is that the, most of the fodder systems that are out there um, are very poorly designed and they don't take into consideration biohazards and and pathogens. And what's happened is you get it there, and after two months, you can't use it anymore because it develops so much um, mold and mildew. Hmm. And uh, they just don't know how to solve that problem, and, and we do. Um, we solved it in several ways. Uh, but more importantly, it allows us to, you know, us to continue growing and making stuff on a daily basis. And we don't have to worry about all those problems associated with it because we bypass all that. But our competitors are still turning out $45,000, $50,000 systems that, uh, are not are being resold in three months because they're so they're so poorly designed and made. Um, so we're actually in the next six months to a year we will be the ones that they're going to try to emulate um, because uh, we're doing such a good job of, of making a really good solid fodder. It's crazy. Awesome. So so obviously you my goodness you, you with all this stuff going on you know there's there's multiple questions that come from this a do you ever sleep uh, b but uh, you you've obviously in, in your experience over the years you've you've learned how to partner with the right people I assume that you you've got help doing this uh, you know this this isn't something that uh, that you're you're burdening burdening all the responsibility and all the the issues yourself I assume. Well, um, in terms of. Um I do all the work that isn't the actual hand making work because I I, um, I can do the welding. I mean, I built the first prototypes of everything mm-hmm. myself, but now I have um, I have a group that that helps me, and uh, um, there are four or five other guys that um, actually um, help build the products and help me design, and and uh, we'll build something, and then uh, we'll build something, and then. We look at it and we rebuild it and we rebuild it again. And about the third time we have the product that we want. Um, but no, I, I work with um, some Mennonites. Um, they never see the outside world, uh, but they're some of the best welders and some of the best people in the industry. Mm. Um, and uh, what's neat is, um, as I said, with the pig, we want to take some of the old world, which was in 1821, with some of the new methods of raising them and using fodder and, and uh, other 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 things that we use from present day feeding, how we combine water and feed to be able to increase the weight and gain and growth of the pigs. We do the same thing with the fodder when we're developing it. Um, I'm working with guys that, uh, you know, have knowledge, you know, from hundreds of years ago, uh, and they don't know any of the new techniques, and I know all the new techniques, and we combine the two together, and now we got something that nobody can even, nobody can even rep- replicate because a lot of the stuff from the old, old school has been forgotten. And, uh, you know, and I've got guys working with me that have to live that way every day. I mean, they got metal on their tires, for God's sake. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but we know how to do things mechanically that, you know, we've lost that art of doing things mechanically. We're going to automate everything. You don't want to put a motor on it. want to put a solenoid on it. 
Well, the cool thing is they don't have none of that stuff in the 1800s or the 1700s, but they still did those things back then. So, you know, we could take those things now and combine them together, and it makes for some really neat products. I'm, I'm very proud of what we've done. I mean, I'm so proud of what we've done, I can't, I can't begin to tell you. I mean, <clears throat> our pigs... Our pigs taste the best. I, um, I, I can't, you know. And they're and the new new, the new pigs that we're developing are, um, you know, I mean, 272 pounds in five months and two days. Um, that's a, and that's a large pig of an inch and a half fat cat with dark red meat with litters of 15 to 20. Um, yeah, that's a pig, man. It marbles yeah. at three months. Yeah, I good. mean, uh, you know, that just blows away anything else that's out there, and so. You know, any pig that's making 10 to 15 months is not going to, you know, you're not going to make as much money. If if I can raise, if I could take the next Burt guy and he can have 10 sows and I get 10 sows and we feed him the same exact inputs and I get three times the number of pigs that he gets, that's not, that's not even a contest. You know, are you going to keep the one that makes three times more or are you going to dump that one that just doesn't, that, that can't, that can't produce? Right. You know. You're based upon numbers. You got to be able to get your numbers up, and and we can do that with our pigs. And with the, and feeding them fodder, um, you get a cleaner pig. You get a, a pig that's healthier. You get a pig that uh, you know is is now eating what it's actually meant to eat. Uh, the pigs are actually carnivores too, but we don't feed them any any animal proteins. But um, but the fact is, we can have them eating fodder, and we end up with a really really good pig. And, and you can tell in the taste and the smell and everything. So, so trying to help farmers at the same time, trying to develop the stuff to help us. And, and I'm hoping that, you know, we help farmers every day in our, our uh, pasture pigs for meat and profit group. Um, you know, we help thousands of farmers on a monthly basis. I mean, we take thousands of questions and thousands of emails and thousands of texts and, you know, uh, I got like sixty of them since I've been sitting here on the phone. Right, yeah, bet. So, yeah, and I'm I'm watching uh, I'm watching my screen as the tickets go up. So, you know, I mean, people keep asking, and and so I mean, it's it's great. We're trying to help farmers. We try to help new farmers. We try to help old farmers. Uh, we try to help any way we can to keep the farmers around. I mean, that's our number one goal is to keep as many farmers farming. You know, I'll see farmers go out there and get the wrong pigs, and two years later, you know, they're out of the business because. They put so much time and effort and money into like, Mangalitsa breeders. I see them going out of business every two weeks. Mm. And, uh, you know, the pig, it just takes, it takes two years to raise a Mangalitsa to make it profitable. And even then, it's not profitable because it has too much fat and not enough meat. But people keep pushing it, you know, and they'll push the smaller pigs, the AGHs and the Cooney Coonies and things like that. But they're not going to make you any money. Yeah. Um, and if there is, there's maybe a few people across country making money with them, but They've got such a niche, niche market that, uh, you know, yeah. that uh, they can make scale. money at it great. But for, but for the, yeah, for the larger, larger number of people out there that are just getting into pigs, um, they lose their butt on those now. And it takes them two years and then they close, close the doors and say, I'm getting out of pigs here. I'll buy all my mangas. I'll give them to you. I mean, I got people giving them away on the site in the last month. Mm-hmm. Here, I got six manga leases. I'll give them away. And I'll just come get them. Um, you know, and that's a bad thing because that's not promoting what we do. That's not out there, you know, getting in the mix and selling good pork. And you're worried about the mechanics of trying to make it work to find out you're going bankrupt. I, I don't like that. Um, 
So we do the best we can trying to help all the farmers out and, you know, try to help them get on a path of, you know, not so much profitability as trying to get them on a consistent path that leads to profitability as they, as they go from, uh, um, go from one thing to another in their farms. Yeah. Well, yeah, I love that attitude. And, and, and I think that's, that's really what's going to move the industry forward is, is pioneers, guys like you that are, that are ahead of the game or are leading the way in some of these specific areas sharing that information and you know that's that's a real blessing to some of us producers that are just starting out trying to get our arms around uh what's going to work and what's not i mean we always talk about we stand on the shoulders of other people uh anytime we do anything right. and, and and love the idea that you guys are willing to share so i wanted to you'd mentioned it here i want to mention it again so you guys have a facebook group called the pastured pigs for meat and profit group that uh, I think right. has, has about 10,000 members right now, and that's where you guys do a lot of communication with uh, fellow producers, correct? Correct. Um, we have some special programs that none of the other groups have. Um, we have a special pork advisory board, so if you got a, you're getting ready to go out of business because of your pork and stuff, why we can talk. you can talk to six top experts in pork and try to see if we can't find a solution to save, save your farm. Um, but uh, we also have what's called a mentoring program. You can get in our group and we have a mentoring program so that you can go online and, and uh, we hook you up with, uh, with a, an experienced uh, pork producer and they can help you get through all the trials and tribulations of what normally happens in the first year. And uh, the mentoring program is, you know, we've, I think we've had four or 500 people go through our mentoring program since we started it. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, that helps uh, the new ones out. We we offer that as it, it's all. Now you gotta understand the 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 group and stuff is all free. I mean, you come on there. You know, we're offering our our uh, our information and stuff free on 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 our site. But yet, uh, you know, and phone calls and texts and everything else, we we do offer that stuff as free. And the mentoring program is free, and so is the advisory board. So people are doing it out of the uh, kindness of their hearts, or you know, I got some real good, highly educated people with a lot of good experience helping in a lot of different ways. And, uh, they're just there to help and, um, everybody helps and, and, uh, it's, it's a great thing. I mean, uh, it's, it's part of what we're trying to do. We're not out there trying to make money on someone else's shirt tails, um, or trying to take anything away from anybody else or anything. We're trying to make things easier for the farmers. And we try to, you know, answer questions as best we can and try to help save pigs. I mean, uh, we're saving pigs every week, it seems like. Yeah. So, well, man, that's, that's, you know, that's what we're trying to do, and that's one of our goals is to try to really help the farmers and, and uh, you know, try to try to do what we can to keep them around. Yeah, excellent. Well, well Carl, when you, when you look at uh, the next five years, uh, you kind of look down the corridor of time in the future here, what, what, do, you, what do you hope to accomplish in the next five years with, with all these endeavors? Well, um, my hope is that uh, we can have a number of farmers out there utilizing the hot box. And uh, my goal would be to have a yearly hot box gathering where we can have, you know, everybody that's bought a hot box come bring their hot box to our special event and we'll offer a bunch of money and prizes and things and roast pigs and have a big, humongous boucherie and uh, bring in the top, top, uh, you know, barbecue guys, hog roasters, and everything all across the country to um, to have it culminate into a big event where the farmers that have their own um, 
uh, hot boxes could bring their own pigs and compete right here and, uh, and, and, and share ideas and share ideas on how to, to best grow it so that they can, uh, you know, help their, uh, their farms continue to grow and profit every year so that they're not, uh, they're not trying to survive on a minimum basis. Uh, as far as the fodder systems go, uh, my hope is, I mean, I, I see fodder as being the future of everything we do, um, even for human consumption, uh, because the fodder system, um, one fodder box that I make can, can replace 256 acres of prime farmland that's made, that has three cuttings of alfalfa a year. We can blow that away because we're making alf- we're actually making product 365 days a year, and it's prime product. And we don't take up but anywhere but a 20-foot, by 8-foot, by 10-foot space. Um, you know, I mean, that's fantastic. We can take the water that we have, recirculate, reuse the water that we use. I mean, there are so many fantastic benefits of using fodder um, that, you know, it's going to definitely be because we don't have enough land out there to support, you know, a hundred or a million pastured pigs. There isn't. But what we can do is we can put those pigs and have them in clean quarters and we can bring the pasture to them by bringing the fodder to the pigs. Hmm. Yeah. Then, I mean, I, I really like being on pasture because the pigs can get the grubs and the worms out of the dirt and they eat up, you know, they, they root the dirt, not because they want to make piles of dirt, but because they find interesting things under the dirt. Mm-hmm. Well, and they, they find a lot of food there. But the thing is, if we could bring them the pasture, uh, and because people don't have enough money to buy 50 acres of land to put, you know, you know, uh, 50 pigs on, then we can allow them to do that and bring the pasture to them, and we could still make a really, really good pig for us to eat. So I think not only not only fodder for pigs but and sheep, goats, cows, and horses, but we can utilize the fodder for us. We can make human. Uh, I make a great three bean salad in my fodder system. I got one tray in there that nothing does nothing but make three bean salad. Yeah. And, uh, you know, adzukis and some garbanzos and, and some uh, peas and, and some radishes. And I throw them all in there. They, they grew up about four inches. And now I, I have the best three bean salad for a little ranch on there and eat it right out of the, <laughs> right out of the tray. Um, I thought that was pretty funny the first time I did it, and everyone that's, else thought it was too. But good. you know what? It turned out to be really, really good. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> it's as organic as you're going to get. It's clean. Um, we use hydrogen peroxide in all of our units. Hydrogen peroxide cleans all the bacteria. There's no pathogens. It's completely. It's as it's as organic as possible because there's no dirt. There's no pathogens. Um, so you can grow all the seed in there you want for whatever you want. Um, we're experimenting with a whole bunch of things right now that I think are just going to be mind-blowing in the next six months to a year. Great. And once our automated system is done, then we're talking uh, that's just going to that's going to be a game-changer in the entire industry. So um, I'm looking forward to, you know, what the next, you know, one to five years it looks like. Excellent. Well, we'll definitely have to have you back on and, and, and have you keep uh, updating us on, on the progress on all these uh, ventures. This is This is incredible. Well, I, 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 I appreciate you having me on the show. Certainly. Well, I promised I wouldn't keep you long, and, and I know you got a ton going on. Sounds like your inbox is filling up as we go along. Um, I'll, I'll mention this, or I'll put this down in our show description, but if you don't mind, uh, just, just kind of give a shout-out to where you'd like people to find more information about your products and uh, and how they can get a hold of you. Well, um, you can look up uh, www.americanhotbox.com www.americanfodderbox.com 
Uh, you can see us on the web on Facebook. Just look up American Hot Box, American Fodder Box. Um, Fodder Fed is one of our, our biggest growing uh, uh, groups on on uh, Facebook right now. Um, it's growing very quickly, like 30 or 40 people a day that are learning about fodder and what it can do and how it can help you. Um, we're asking thousands of questions and then showing how people all over the world are doing fodder. I have about 40 people in Australia that are using systems that I, uh, that I help design and I sent designs to them and they're building their own systems. Um, and they're feeding nothing but, uh, their animals fodder on a daily basis. So, uh, you know, you can learn a lot in fodder fed and, uh, you can also meet us, talk to us and pasture pigs for meat and profit. Um, we've got quite a good group of top level experts as administrators and, um, we're glad to help any way we can. Awesome. Well, everybody check out those links again. I'll, I'll have those in the show description below. Well, Carl, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today and, and hope you have a great rest of the day. Thanks. I really appreciate it. All right. Take care. Well, I hope, uh, hope you all enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. That was uh, really interesting. I have to confess, I, I was not that familiar with Carl. I didn't know all that he was involved in till, uh, till really started uh, researching this and getting more into this podcast actually has introduced me to so many people. Uh, but I really appreciate talking to Carl and again, anxious to talk to him uh, even more as we uh, go on down the line of, of topics and discussion points. Well, I appreciate uh, all of you giving reviews and, and, uh, and giving us rankings. That's helping us come up in our rankings. Um, I saw that um, a third party reached out to us and said that we are ranked 959th on iTunes. <laughs> so we are climbing the charts. <laughs> but uh, obviously very uh, specialized uh, topic with the Pastured Pig podcast, but I appreciate everyone that uh, listens and participates and comments. Well, again, if you want to know more uh, about us, check us out at redtoolhouse.com on our website, or you can uh, find us on our YouTube channel at Red Tool House Homestead. All right, take care, everybody. Have a great day. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. To learn more about our podcast or to submit topics or recommend guests for future episodes, visit redtoolhouse.com. 